Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. into your shadow on the rooftop. Good afternoon, church. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Rooftop Church. Would you turn to your neighbors and give them a, a nice smile with your eyes, give them a nod, and let them know that you are glad to see them. If you're happening to visit us for the first time, we welcome you. Friends that are coming back, we welcome you as well. And everyone that is joining through our YouTube live streaming, we welcome you as well. We are so glad that you're able to worship with us today, and I hope that you are able to enjoy today's service. And if you have any questions uh, for those that are streaming, uh, joining us online, uh, uh, type us, uh, uh, make sure to uh, fill out the newcomer's contact info on the website, and a member of our care ministry team will reach out to you and make sure that all of your questions and inquiries may be answered on behalf of the church. And um, I just have a a quick announcement, uh, two announcements for you guys. As we have been announcing for the past two weeks, in two weeks, we're going to have our first PTA meeting, uh, certainly this year, but I do believe that first time in a long while, so the teachers, the parents have not had the chance to meet. But on that day, on the 27th of, uh, 29th of August, our children's ministry director, Chris Park, will be able to meet with all the parents of this church, and in case that you have any questions regarding the upcoming uh, school year's uh, vision for the ministry and how we can better uh, nurture our kids spiritually. Um, so uh, prepare to attend that meeting. Uh, that meeting will also be in person, so prepare for that. And next week, I'm really excited about the guest speakers that are coming in next week. Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember them. Uh, we also invited them about two years ago, uh, Cormac and Sarah McKinney. Uh, they're missionaries all the way in Hungary. They're actually the only missionaries that I know that have ever worked in Hungary. So uh, it's kind of unusual. What's more unusual for Sarah and uh, Cormac is that uh, they are there serving uh, primarily their ministering to the missionaries and their families. Cormac is a, um, a, a doctor of psychology, and he, he, he has this calling to minister to the missionaries so that mentally and spiritually, I mean, uh, emotionally they're stable and well so that they can continue on long ministry and faithfully attending to the call of God in their life. So very unique and very distinct ministry that they're involved in. So uh, they are um, on their sec- two months furlough, and they, they've graciously um, allowed us, allotted us some time. So we're going to invite them, and we'll hear a little bit about their ministry. But also, um, he's going. I, I've asked them to unpack um, what are some... Uh, truths that we need to understand about mental health. And I don't know about you, but for me, I really feel like this is a huge area which many Christians are uh, gaining understanding and knowledge how we can better, um, I guess, what, what's the word? Not, not only protect, but uh, the things that we should know so that uh, we can be healthy on all levels, uh, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So come out next week, and um, I, I guarantee you, you're going to like it. And, and we're going to learn from them, and we're going to have the chance to be inspired by the journey of their missions journey. All right, that's it. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, 
chapter 5. Gospel of John, chapter 5. And we will read from verses 18 through 23. And I will be reading from the NSB version. It's not just NSB if you're using the phone. It's NASB 1995, all right? It's an old-school version, NASB. If you like ESV, NIV, uh, NLT, whatever version is, if you like, you don't have to, you know, you could read your own version as well. So this is a version that I have on the slides for you. And this is the reading of God's word. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin our message portion? Of worship. God, we thank you for uh, allowing us to time and space to meet here, God, gather in your presence. God, we currently, God, are, are different places on, on a journey of faith. God, our hearts are in different conditions, God, but regardless of our life circumstances, God, we admit, God, we are all in need of your touch, Lord. God, we are all hungering for that encounter with you. And God, we pray this specific prayer today. God, help us to see what you are doing. God, help us to take the time to implore of what you desire from us, Lord. God, our goal is to see you at work and join you, God. God, I pray as your word is being taught and preached, give us years to hear. But God, more importantly, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive every one of your words. God, we thank you, Lord. Spirit, would you just begin to minister even now? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had this thought earlier this past week, and I had this thought. It's, it's actually a question, and the question that I had this past week was that, God, what do you desire from me? And that's, a, I guess, a nicer way of phrasing, God, what do you want from me? And I don't know what sparked, that, uh, sparked uh, me to ask that question, but I, in that moment, I really wanted to know if there's one thing that God wanted me to know, if there's one thing that God desired from me, what would that answer be? And, I, and I, I kept asking because in the way that I answered that question, I feel like I would have a pretty good bearing on how I can live out my faith. So I stopped and I asked the question again, God, what is it that you want from me? 
Obviously, I can't see him, but I, 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 I sensed that he was with me and he was fully engaged with me. And I made a point of having that very important question answered by God. And after asking that question, I paused and I waited. And the first thought or first verse that popped, onto, popped into my mind was Micah 6, 8. It came to my mind first. What does God want? Uh, uh, no, no. It says to do justice and love mercy. Because the writer of, because Micah asks the same question and he said, God, what do you desire from me? And the way that God answered Micah was that to, love, to do justice and love mercy. I'm like, well, I can't really refute what the Bible says about that particular question. So, well, that's great. God, is that what you want from me? to do justice, and to love mercy. And then I paused for a moment. And then I thought, and I thought maybe God desires more of personal piety from me. Maybe what God really desires from me right now is that, that I spend more time being devoted in the Word of God, not only reading, but understanding and studying the Word of God. And what more would God be pleased with me spending more time in prayer? That I'm not just selfish. I'm not just going out and doing, doing, doing. And, and, you know, mercy is good. But what greater work is there that God would be delighted in that I would spend my time praying? And if I'm, like, if I'm praying, like, now I'm interceding. I'm not only praying for my needs or my personal welfare, but, God, I'm now praying and interceding, meaning I'm standing in the gap between God and his people. And certainly... God would desire that for me. Personal piety. Well, God, there's got to be more, right? And then I thought, maybe what God really desires for me right now is to be so highly keen and be involved in relieving suffering and being an able body, serving the needy, and being a helpful hand in the community at large, contributing to the needs of the community. Maybe God wants me to be so involved in ministry that I become what? A person that refreshes and enhances the quality of people's lives. What do you think? How would you answer that question? Are, are you guys okay with the ways in, in that I attempted to the question? Are you guys, those are pretty solid answers, right? So I thought so too. I said, like, well, that's pretty good. Well, three things. But the problem that I ran into, and I wasn't really satisfied with these answers because individually I was okay. They're all great answers, but I felt like, at least for me, that by committing to one, I felt immediately I was not prioritizing the other. And I kept searching for more. I kept uh, fighting off the sense of like letting go of something and attaining the other. And I began to ask, God, what is it that you desire the most from me? I thought maybe I didn't specify the question enough. And God, what is it that you want the most from me? How can I live a life that is most pleasing to you? And perhaps you have spent some time uh, exploring such question in the course of your faith life. I certainly did this past week. And that moment, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and he directed me to the passage that we have just read this more, uh, the, uh, earlier. It's this one phrase that kept circling in my mind. This one phrase which Jesus said, 
It says, I only do what I see my father do. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get over that. And I felt like in all my attempts to answering the question, what does God desire from me? And I felt like that one statement conveyed by the son himself, that I only do what I see my father do, I felt like that was the answer. Because if I could answer that question, if I have that answer, I mean, that's it. That's the secret. And to be intimately one with the Father, having fully yielded to the purposes and the visions of our Heavenly Father, you're able to say with full confidence, I only do what I see my Father do. And that statement is so powerful. In that statement, it's conveying I am committed to what my Father desires for me to do. Also, it conveys, I am committed to please the Father. I, 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 now living, uh, I, I now am living not my for own pleasure and success. I'm committed to please the Father. And lastly, I am committed to live my life in full obedience to God. That word obedience conveys that you're searching for, man, God desires something from me. God is commanding me to do something. God is leading me to live a certain way. Now I have fully conceded. Now I'm heeding the ways of God. And certainly that ought to please the Lord. And I really believe that if all of us, people of uh, the faith and uh, God's people, if we can get to that mindset, if we make it our goal to have such posture, meaning what is God doing and I'm going to join him at his work. No matter what, I'm going to walk in step with him. And I really feel like that is the secret of which we can have a successful faith life. So without further ado, let's, let's dive right in to the, understand the context a little bit. And, and throughout this sermon, if there's one thing that you want to keep asking is that personally, not only what this passage is saying, personally ask yourself, God, what is it that you are wanting me to do? God, what is it that you desire from me? And God... What are you doing right now, and how can I get involved? Ask those questions all throughout this, um, today's sermon, if that's possible with you. All right, so let me, uh, 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 what is it, provide a little backdrop of today's text here. And so in this passage, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is doing something that was kind of against the norm. And he began this in chapter 4 when he, uh, when, uh, chapter 4 starts with Jesus engages this uh, a foreigner woman, Samaritan woman, a woman at the, you guys know this story, right? And she's drawing uh, water in the, in the middle of the day, which no one did, but uh, the woman did so because she was forbidden to engage the general public because she was a Samaritan woman and she was uh, looked down upon. And Jesus chooses to draw water at that particular time. And he has this draw, longly drawn out conversation with this lady, which also was forbidden to do in his time. So he's breaking many rules already, but the woman is touched. He's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You must be a prophet. You know, how many times have I been married? I'm six times. You're on your sixth man. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you know you? And she felt so embarrassed, but then, no, 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 I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to actually restore you. I'm going to give you living water. 
Her life is changed. He, she runs back, and she even forgot to get water. You know, actually, this, that's not very important. So she, he's already breaking many rules, right? In chapter 5, he does something that was so against the Jewish culture. He heals a man, a lame man, a man who has been sick for more than 30 years, a man that has uh, brought himself to a place uh, called Bethesda every single day in hopes that there's a legend in that lake that, that the angel of God will stir the waters and the first one at the crack of dawn, the first one jumps into the pool of water, that person would be miraculously healed. And this poor fellow probably spent many years going to such place, but no luck. So he's like this still troubled, still living with this physical ailment, and Jesus decides to heal that person. You're thinking, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that not on what he did, but the problem occurred on the day that Jesus performed this miracle. And this took place on the day of Sabbath. Uh, consider it our weekend. Consider it our Sunday. How many of you guys like to work on Saturdays or Sundays? Exactly. That, that's what I thought. I, I was hoping, I was praying that no hands would go up, right? Do you guys like getting phone calls? Like, how many of you guys like getting phone calls on your off day? No. What are the, the first thoughts that you get is that when your boss calls you or your CEO calls you, like, you're already, like, ready to give them, like, hell in your head, right? We don't like that, right? We don't like to work. So the Jews had this long tradition that they never, uh, they were encouraged to not do anything on the day of Sabbath. And this is well ingrained in the culture. Now, Jesus is no exception because he's a Jew. But Jesus decides to, what? Actually, when I, when I was in seminary, I learned that they don't even like to turn on water on the day of Sabbath. Some extreme, like, Hardcore Jews, they don't even like to do anything, right? Because a day of rest. But Jesus on this day heals a man that had physical ailments. Now the Jewish leaders and the haters of Jesus and his ministry, they were already bothered with this man. And now they're coming after Jesus, indicting him. Hey, man, you're not supposed to do this. You're breaking the law. You're, you're a menace to us. You're causing so much disruption. And Jesus, in response to that, so the Jewish authorities are hating on him, right? And Jesus' defense here is quite simple. I understand that you're troubled. I understand that you think, you perceive that I'm breaking the law on the day of Sabbath, but I'm simply doing what I see my father doing. So that was Jesus' defense to what he was being indicted for. And now that response upsets the Jews even more. Now he, they're, they're on him for two charges. First, breaking the Sabbath. Second, this man was claiming that he was a son of God. He was calling God his father. So the authorities were really, really upset. They're now really like just uh, ready to heap uh, just all kinds of accusations, trouble on Jesus. And here he claims to be God. Here and now, Jesus acts like God. And he says, like the Father, Jesus works on the Sabbath. And he claims that God is his Father. And it's in this claim 
that I want us to have our focus today because I think it's really powerful. Understanding the context and, and Jesus saying, you know what? I only see my father do. In that statement, Jesus is saying, I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care what the parameters or the rules are of this society. If God wants to do something in us and among us, I am committed to that. I'm not afraid of disobeying a man-made rule. I'm not afraid of going against. I'm not here to be liked by you. I am devoting myself. I'm living my first uh, primarily. I'm here to please the Father. You understand how radical statement that is? He's saying, Jesus was saying, you could kill me, you could hate me, but I'm here to do the work of the Father. And I love that. Let me read that verse for you uh, in a different translation. I think Eugene Peterson does a really good job unpacking the true meaning of that here. Verses 19 through 20. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son, can son can't independently, independently do a thing. Only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. Let me read the last portion for you again. I think it's so important. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. I want us to focus on that passage here. I know we're talking about Jesus is conveying his identity. He's explaining to his people about the relationship, that unique relationship that he shares with God the Father. But I really believe that last statement is also true for us as well. As you and I have been deemed by Christ that we are indeed co-heirs of Christ, we are indeed sons and daughters of God, I believe that the same relationship, the same message and the lesson can be implied and applied for us as well. That God, the Father God loves us, loves you, and he includes you, he includes me in everything that he is doing. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God is always at work? Do you believe that he is not only this uh, mastermind, uh, the owner and the operator of the universe, but we as people of God, God is committed in involving every single one of us. I want you to understand that part right there. And this is, when I read that passage, when I read that last verse, this is what I'm gleaning from this passage. And really important principles that I should emulate from Jesus. Two principles here. There's not even three points, so this is, this is really good for you. Number one, I'm keen to seek what the Father is doing. Now, this is Jesus' mindset. This is how Jesus approached every single aspect of his ministry. Now, and we shall learn from Jesus as well. First, I'm keen to seek what the Father is doing. You see, the Bible is the record of God's activity in the world, right? In it, he reveals himself, his nature, he reveals his purposes and his plans and his ways. You see, the Bible is not primarily a book about individual and their relationships with God, 
but rather the Bible focuses on the activity of God, and along the activities of God, God involves and invites his people along the way. I know, you're like, well, Scott, it kind of sounds similar. It sounds similar, but it's the simple switching or the change of the order. It changes the entire landscape. First and foremost, there's an agenda by God. There's a work to be done, which God himself set forth to be completed. And now along the way, God has called his people to be involved in his work. When God is about to do something, he takes the initiative and comes to one or more of his servants to let them know what he's about to do. And he invites them to adjust their lives to him so he will accomplish work through them. Let me read for you Amos chapter 3, verse 7. The sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, to his prophets. The sovereign Lord, meaning he will do nothing without involving his people. Do you guys know what that means? Meaning that you and I are called to be not spectators of what God is doing, but you and I are called to be participants of God's work. Did you know that God's work is not for the ministers it's not for the pastors. It's not only for the missionaries. It's for every single person whose life has been redeemed by the work of Christ. He says, you are my people. Now, you are invited to the work and the agenda that I have for this world. So I want to dispel the notion that as if we need a, spe a specific calling to do God's work. I want to just, you know, I, I want you to be encouraged to, to set aside this false notion where, you know, um, doing God's work, that's for special Christians. That's for the advanced level Christian. I'm not there yet. I just got saved, guys. You know, like, Pastor Scott, I just, you just kind of, you need to chill because I'm not ready yet. Like, I'll let you know when I'm ready to be involved in God's work. Well, that couldn't be far. From, that's so far from the truth. Every single person, God says, now, as you claim that you are mine, now I'm calling you to be involved in the work that I have. Jesus was always keen. He was always seeking to know what the Father was doing. And you should be interested in doing that as well. I should be so keen in seeking what the Father is doing. Let me ask you this question. If I were to ask you, what is God doing right now? How would you answer that? Not what is God doing in your life. How, how would you answer, what is God doing today? If we could be honest, that's not the question that we often ask. In fact, that's not even the prayer that we most often pray. We pray, but we are more about telling God and praying to God what we are doing. And we desperately seek His help. We desperately invite Him because we need Him. 
Because we need his power. Because we need his favor and love. Because we need his comfort. It's more about inviting God in our work. But the Bible is clear about it's the exact opposite. Be interested. Inquire first what he is doing. And the goal is for you to be there. Amen? Amen? Second point. This is Jesus' mindset. His mindset is such that I'm going to do what the Father shows me. Meaning, I'm going to do what I see my Father doing. God's, I, I want to convey this. God's revelation is your invitation. As today's passage conveys to us, the Father loved the Son and took the initiative to come to him and reveal what the Father was doing or was about to do. And in turn, the Son was alert for the Father's activity around him so he could unite his life with what the Father was doing. As God's obedient children, now we are in a love relationship with him. And because he loves us and he wants to involve us in his work. As he shows us, the goal of God showing us what he's doing is so that we may join him at his work. You know, I titled today's sermon, Seeing the Father. Because we need to begin there. Unless we see the Father, unless we're able to observe what the Father is doing, we won't know what to do. But the goal is also not just seeing what God is doing. We want to see God. We want to know what God is doing for the purpose of what? So that we may join him at work. Are you with me? You see, when you see the, uh, uh, when you see the Father at work around you, that is your invitation to adjust your life to him and join him in that work. Now your, your mind should be turning faster and faster and asking even more specific questions. Well, what is God doing then? There's so many things that God is doing. God is, God is hand, God's hand is all over this place. God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's like, he's like the mastermind. He's a master worker. Like, what am I supposed to do? Right? Now you're probably asking, what does that mean for us? So your questions should be more specified, uh, specified now. What do you sense for you the Father is doing? What do you sense the Father wants you to do? And what are you doing about it? And how you respond, actually, I'm going to say, you have the freedom to respond. I feel different convictions in the same message and the question that I hear from the Lord. And that's absolutely Okay, and we just want to make sure that we don't just live being stuck at understanding or knowing or collecting convictions and having the sense of what God is wanting us to do and living with many confirmations along the way without actually doing anything about it. This is what James chapter 2, he warns us is that faith without deeds is dead. Let me, ask you, let me ask you again, and you have to really answer this for yourself. What do, you see their father, what do you see the Father doing right now? And what are you doing about it? Let me, let me unpack this story here. I have two kids. If I go to my kids right now today and say, hey, what do you think 
Hey, come up with something that you, would, you can't do to please the Father. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I can't say Father. Like, I, we don't even, that's such a foreign word in our family. We say, hey, do something that's going to make Daddy happy. If you could do anything to please Daddy, if you could do anything to join Daddy at work, what would you do and what can you do? So I, I thought this. I didn't really ask uh, my kids, but I thought this in my head, and I just, okay, if I ask my son of all the things that you could do, and you're allowed to join dad at work, you could help him out, what would you do? And I have a pretty good sense. I think of all the chores, all the work that, dad, uh, that I do, he says, dad, I see you grilling, and let me come help. Maybe that's a selfish reason. Because he loves meat, right? He probably said, but I'm, I ain't going to hate. I mean, I'm asking. It's a fair question, right? He says, Dad, I love it when you grill. I like it when you grill. I love eating. So let me help you. So when I watch you grill, you will most often and most likely see my son run up to the kitchen. He says, oh, Dad, what are you doing? I know exactly why he's asking that question. Oh, let me come help. You know why? I have this personal rule. When I, when I grill and barbecue, I'm already, like, I'm already eating outside. Taste test. You have to for the safety for my family. So my son will come out, and he will help out a little bit, you know, salting, you know, peppering, all that. And he will come out as soon as the, fire is, uh, the grill is fired up. Dad, so what are you doing? Can, can I help? Come here. Flip this, flip that. And, then, and when he does that, he gets that first bite. So when I ask the question, when I throw out the invitation, I know that my son will sign up for that. Nine, I thought, if I ask the same question to my daughter, who's only nine, what would she do? He, she has never, at least for me, has never volunteered to work with me in the kitchen or outside grilling. She would probably say, Dad, when are you going to wash your car? And the reason is that it was one time I was washing the car, like, she wanted to help. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like very, I'm very particular about the car washing, right? So I didn't really say, hey, why don't you just take care of the wheels? And I gave her like the rags and they make it really shiny. And then when she did it, she did an amazing job because her tiny fingers would go through all the crevices. She did a phenomenal job. And I told Abigail, this is amazing. You're able to do something that I can't even do. And, and she was like, this is it. And you could see that she had this sense, I have found my life's calling. So if I tell my daughter, hey, do something to help daddy, she will sign up to do what? To help me with car washing. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the key is not what I'm doing. The key is what? Staying close to the heart of the Father and understanding, discerning their God. There has to be something that I can sign up for. There has to be something that I can give of my time, my abilities that will please the Father. There has to be something that I'm not just on the silence and watching my dad at work. There has to be something that I can be helpful for the work that my father is doing. Are you with me? And I believe that he has made you differently than how I am made by God. Praise the Lord that you're not like me. 
And I, and I praise the Lord that I'm not like you. I rejoice that I have different passions. I rejoice that I have different talents than you do. I rejoice at the fact that different things move me. But you see what's not, uh, you, you see what's, uh, what's not different here is in the approach that you and I live. We are constantly asking, God, what is it that you are doing? We have the same philosophy in mind and goal in mind that we are interested in what God wants to do. And we simply hop on, God, let me help you washing the car. God, let me help you grilling that nice piece of steak. And I think that's what God desires from us as well. He wants you and me to be interested in what he is doing. The passions that he wants to unfold in this world. The works that he wants to accomplish in this world. Imagine the world. Imagine the church of God in this world. If you and I are committed to living this life, I only do what I see my Father doing. We're not selfish. We are asking the question, God, what are you doing? Right after that, we show up to work. We become not spectators, but we become participants of the work of the kingdom. Are you with me here? And I really believe that um, therein lies a secret of uh, living a life pleasing unto the Lord. We're constantly asking the question, through different circumstances, through different events and seasons, asking, God, what are you doing? And, you know, how many guys know that we see a lot of things, we hear a lot of things, and I believe that we are to respond. Some people run ahead. Some people will sit back. Some people run towards God in this endeavor. Some people will run towards this endeavor. But certainly, whatever it is that God, whatever it is that God is doing, we are to participate. Let me, in the last portion of today's sermon, let me draw your attention to what I share at the end of last week's sermon, just a little bit. And I share a little bit about Afghanistan. I share a little bit about it. I'm sure you guys are following along uh, all the news, uh, footages, articles that you see. You know, there are terrible things happening right now. And, and I really feel the need to share uh, just a little bit more you know, I actually held back last week. You know, I, I didn't share, I didn't want to share too much because it means more personally, more to me than I imagined that it would mean for you. But what's taking place right now in that country is really serious. You know, someone has said that imagine, imagine the Nazis, German Nazis, what they did in the 1930s and 40s during the two decades, that's exactly what's being played out in Afghanistan by the hands and the works of Taliban, right? By force, they're trying to take away basic human rights. They're trying to impose their will on innocent people. Their attitudes and actions quickly changing as days go by. They're already breaking multiple promises, right? And it's really disheartening that the tension is already being lessened as days go by. You know, again, I, I may be the only one noticing. I may be one of the few noticing, but, 
if you, if you saw the news on Yahoo, that, that's kind of my, you know, first I, I check Yahoo, then I go B, uh, BBC and CNN, right? As days went by, it lasted all but four days. Four days, first four days, it occupied the front page of the Yahoo News. And as days go by, as days went by, slowly, you have to scroll through the bottom of the list to see any news or updates about Afghanistan. Already the less attention is being uh, drawn less and less here, right? So I just wanted to share a few photos with you in case you're not too keen to, to know what's going on in that country. You guys seen this footage before? Right? Uh, this, I think, was put up last Sunday or Monday. Uh, there was a, a, a U.S. Air Force plane, and people were trying to get on, right? And multiple people, I think, uh, capacity is 150 inside, and more than 700 people boarded the plane to be taken away to, I think, they landed in Qatar eventually. As you notice, that not everyone got to go inside. So when this plane took off, people were hanging on the side of this plane outside. And you, have to, you would have to zoom in, but one of these men, one of these people that uh, hung onto the airplane outside was a, a boy named Zaki Anwari. He's a 17-year-old, actually a soccer hopeful for Afghanistan. He's, his body was found dead uh, in the wheel of the airplane because he hopped on. In hopes to, I imagine when I was reading the articles, I imagine that these people probably didn't even know how the airplanes work. In fact, this guy didn't even know how airplanes work. And when I saw the video footage of people standing on the side of the plane, I had to ask my wife, honey, is it scientifically possible that if you go up that high, that fast, is there any chance that you could survive? Okay, I'm kind of ignorant. Like, hey, come on, Scott, like air pressure, man. All right, I'm not that smart, okay? I said, it's not possible. But I thought, how many of the people that went on to the side of the plane knew how that worked? They were simply desperate. They simply thought, hey, airplane, it's going to take me to the place of freedom. Like this boy did. Couldn't make it. He was dead. And I saw this picture a few days after that. And now, uh, I think 3,500 U.S. troops are now occupying the Kabul airport, the only place in the, in the entire country that is deemed safe because there's actual army security. 3,500 U.S. armed forces are there. And people are now just, uh, this particular photo was uh, shown where Afghan moms are just, uh, the moms are just throwing their babies uh, um, across the, the, over the fence of the barbed wire fence in hopes that, hey, I can't make it. If I can't make it, at least get my kids. And now uh, this, the picture in the smaller icon is, uh, I think he has a, he's a U.S. Marine, got a hold of this baby that was thrown over the fence. I think seven months, now separated for the rest of her life. And this last picture is, this was just two days ago. This is a former police chief, Haji Mullah uh, Achagzai. 60 years old, faithfully served as a police chief, captured by Taliban, and he suffered the death, his own death, 
public execution by the hands of Taliban. When you see these things, when you hear all these terrible news over the radio, podcast, and television, what do you sense God doing right now? Concerning Afghanistan, what do you see God doing? And I fully admit, I think I gave that disclaimer at the beginning of this example. These news hit me different than probably for you. I have lived there nearly three years. I have close ties there. The orphanage kids that I helped take care of more than 15 years ago, now some of them are messaging me on Facebook, Instagram, asking how they can come to the States, asking me to rescue them, asking me for photos from the past. Any trace of their connection with us because they had heard if there's any connection, they could be given amnesty or they could be given asylum and be flown out of the country. I don't think that's possible. I have no means that I could think of where I can rescue them from where they are. But they're desperately seeking help. I understand what's going on over there hits me differently. But I believe in the same way when we see injustice here in this country, when our hearts are grieved and moved by, let's say, poverty that we see, you know what we saw last year when there was social injustice, racial injustice happening in this land? What did we pray? What kind of posture did we have? How did we respond earlier this year when we saw attack, attacks on elderly Asian people? We ought to stop. You're supposed to stop. We're supposed to stop and ask the Lord, God, what are you doing? What do you want us to do in navigating through this difficult season? In the way that we answer that question, some will say, you know, if you're like me, I'm praying for the day that it opens, that the country is open again. I'm praying for the day where it's safer enough that I may one day see these kids and, and be there and administer the people of Afghanistan. Some people are saying, well, I want to pray for them. But there has to be a way because there's no way that our God is ignorant of what's going on in that country right now. There is no way that God is not grieving over what's going on. And as people of God, you and I are supposed to be asking the question, God, what are you doing? And how can I get involved? I responded personally by reading every article that was made available. I think I, I, I scorched, I mean, I, I just went through every possible website, even Korean websites. I dug through every single one of them and tried to be informed as much as possible to understand the situation. 
in kind of the same way that I responded in, in the past troubles, right? It's like, God, I, I just want to learn more. Because when I understand more, I can do more. And then immediately, I repented. I repented living for living my life not as in tune of the greater suffering that's out there. Guys, how many guys know living as an American is an extreme privilege? Living as a, you know, not all of us live in Orange County. I don't live in Orange County. But being in the vicinity of Orange County is a tremendous privilege. And I began to repent, God, how have I used my privilege in being help, being a delivering hand, those that are not as privileged as I am? And I began to pray for the country of Afghanistan. I pray for peace. And now I'm praying for the courage and the strength of the Afghan people so they, they may fight injustice so that they may not falter under the regime of the Taliban. It's a real, let me, let me ask you again. They're inhumane beings, guys. I, I, I hope you understand that they're bad, bad people, terrible people. And they should, under no circumstances, be in control over anything. We begin to pray for. And I keep asking, God, if there's anything that I can be of help in what you're doing, would you enable me? Would you empower me? Let me pull back again. Today's passage conveys to us the simple admission and the cry of Jesus when he was being accused, when he was being hated on, when he was being told, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. On the day of Sabbath, how dare you? His simple response, I only see what my father is doing. I only do what I see my father doing. That one phrase justified and relieved any kind of trouble that he may have had to deal with. And I pray that you and I live with such mindset. How radical would this church be? How radical would the Christian church, capital C, be if we are committed and living our lives in that regard? I want to quote you one last Bible verse, and we'll leave it at that today. If I can invite the praise team to come on up, uh, be ready to minister to us. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Talking about in the middle of great warfare, in the, in the very hopeless and bleak situation, the writer says, we don't even know what to do. Certainly, I can't fight. Certainly, I can't defeat this enemy. I don't even know what to do. But one thing that we will do, God, one thing, though, that we know that we can do 
is that we have our eyes fixed on you. And I pray that you draw strength from that today. Perhaps you are in the middle of hardships in your own life. Maybe you have questions that you do not have answers for. Maybe you're in the middle of a great trial and suffering in your own life. You don't even, you can't even think of anything. May this cry, God, I don't even, I can't, I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. But God, one thing that I can do, my eyes are on you. And may that be the beginning of everything that we do. Whether it be praying for Afghanistan, praying for civil rest here in this nation, fighting poverty, you know, all the sex trafficking, human trafficking that's happening these days. I mean, you know, it's, it's not just a, a cliche. It, it's just such a it, it, Like, we're afraid to turn on the news because we're afraid to find out what evil is out there. That's the reality. So rather than turning away from that, we continue to have our eyes on that. But God, we invite God and say, God, come. Surely you're doing something. Would you just spend this moment with me in prayer? Let's pray. And I really believe that God is grieving over what's happening over in Afghanistan. We ought to wait, not just wishing things would get better, but we wait while we pray fervently as our eyes are on the one who is loving, who is just, who is all-knowing. Let's pray. And let's just pray. And we can do that. And I haven't, I haven't even brought up the fact that uh, the, the persecution and the execution of the underground Christians in Afghanistan, it's beginning to happen already. We haven't even started that. Would you just join me in prayer? I understand. Maybe you have very little association. Maybe you don't feel very compelled to do so. But today as one church, as God's people, understanding simply that God cares for that land. Would you just join me in prayer? Pray for the welfare, the safety of all the Afghan people. Let's just pray together in one.